Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Up to this point in Luke, we have seen Jesus perform many miracles, healing the sick, cleansing lepers, causing the blind to see, feeding thousands with five loaves of bread and two fish. The religious leaders of the day wanted to see Jesus dead, as many people began to follow him. Jesus warned the crowds of the Pharisees' hypocrisy and called all men to lay down their lives to be one of his disciples. Jesus told them they must consider the cost. He shared these things while dining at a party thrown by a religious leader. Jesus shared three parables about God's reaction to a sinner repenting and returning to him. We look at the parable of the prodigal son as we join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. So verse 11, now we tackle this one, the most famous of these three parables, the parable of the prodigal son. And he, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there he wasted his substance with riotous living. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, but no man gave unto him. And so when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. We're going to divide this parable into three sections. The prodigal son, we're going to look at him first, and we're going to look at the father, and then we're going to look at the elder brother, because each one of them have their own section here, because each one of them represents a response to this event that starts the reason for the parables. The son here represents, of course, the sinners who have now come in close to Jesus, who have repented, who are seeking to listen to God's word now, no longer there just for the miracles. And it describes them this way. It says, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me this portion of goods that falls to me. The goods there refers to his wealth, his possessions, his property, his inheritance. In the case of a family with two sons, the oldest had a legal right to two-thirds of the inheritance and the youngest to one-third of the inheritance. They had a right to that. No one could diminish that. Numerous laws are written over and over again that we have, not just from the scripture, we have that are written by different rabbis and such that you could not diminish it. But they had no right to claim that inheritance during their father's lifetime. None. It's almost as if the younger son is saying to his dad, you're already dead to me, dad. Just give me my inheritance so I can get on with my life without you. And so what's interesting is the father divides not just unto the youngest son, but it says unto them, his living. He divides his inheritance to them both. 
Both sons receive their inheritance while their father is still alive. Verse 13. Not many days after that, the younger son, so I mean, real quickly after he has all this comes through and he gets assigned his portion, he begins to sell off everything that God gives to him. All the property, all the wealth, all the possessions that are go to him. The third of everything his father owned, he sells it off. It says there he gathered all together. The phrase gathered all together means to convert into cash. So not many days after he receives control of these assets, he converts all of it into cash and then he takes his journey into a far country. It's like he's going to get as far away from his dad as he can, his family as he can. And there he wasted It means to spend foolishly and to no purpose. He wasted all that cash, every bit of the converted cash. He wasted it with riotous living. The word there, riotous, usually refers to excessive drinking or other self-indulgent activities. Later on in the parable, the older son will accuse him of spending it on harlots, on prostitutes. That definitely seems to refer to self-indulgent activities. A.T. Robertson said this word describes one who goes to the limit of sinful excesses. There was nothing this guy did not do. He satisfied his flesh to the ultimate end. And our English word prodigal describes that kind of life. That's why it gets this name, the parable of the prodigal son. When all that money is gone, this man literally has nothing left to his name. In some cases, that might not be horrible. Most people didn't have cash lying around back then. You could go out into the market each day to find work to keep yourself fed and sheltered. But what if circumstances in society took a downturn? Well, that's what happens next, verse 14. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want, to lack what was essential or needed to survive. He went and he joined himself. He was joined to a citizen of that country because he was not a citizen of that country. He was a foreigner. And the citizen of that country sent him into his fields to feed swine. So he was able to find lodging, but he had to work for it. And in working for it, he had to feed this guy's pigs. Remember, who's Jesus speaking to here? Jewish people, right? There would be nothing more degrading for a Jew to hear that a man must stoop to caring for pigs to survive. Because by doing so, he gave up not just his own dignity and culture, but he gave up all access to God. He'd be unclean. He would never be able to come into the presence of the Lord. That paints a striking image of the wretchedness into which sin drags a person down, doesn't it? It brings us to a place where we have abandoned all dignity all sense of propriety of what's proper and right, and also all access to God. I'm so grateful that God forgives our sins, that he washes us clean. Amen? I'm so grateful for that. But you need to know that if you're going to go off into sin, if you're going to go off and just live for yourself, you need to know that this is where it will take you. That is where it will take you. It will take you to a place where you throw off all propriety, you lose all dignity, and you lose access to God. The Bible says, he who covers his sins shall not prosper. That's what the Bible says. When we do marital counseling with people or premarital counseling with couples, we explain to the husband, the Bible says, if you don't dwell with your wife with understanding, your prayers are cut off. People say, what does that mean? Does that mean God doesn't forgive me? I don't know what it means. All I know is what it says. It says your prayers are cut off. So don't do it. (laughs) 
Bible says he who covers his sin shall not prosper. Oh, you tell me I'm not saved? I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you, you're not going to prosper. You're cut off. God's not just going to pretend like it's not happening if you're going to go off and live in disobedience. Someone said once, I don't know who, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and charge you more than you want to pay. It's never worth it. Never worth it. Now, you're saying, well, at least he has food and shelter, right? No, just shelter. His work only covered lodging. Look at verse 16. And he would fain, that's an old English word, to greatly desire something, to long for something more than anything else. All he wanted to do was to fill his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. The husks there are the pods of the carob tree. A carob tree, it's also called locust beans. They're like little tiny black bananas or pea pods, uh, large pea pods, tiny bananas, large pea pods. I've given you more information you ever wanted about carob beans. They're blackened pea pod-like plants. They were considered the food of the poor. One ancient rabbi said, Israel won't be brought to repentance until it's, it's eating from the carob tree, till they get low, till they come to the end of themselves. And yet no one allowed him to eat any. That's how bad the famine was. There wasn't enough money for a charity cause. The pigs had to eat because this guy had to live. There was no crops that he could access to. He had to make his money off these swine. And so in this place, where really, honestly, he's still only concerned with feeding his flesh. In that place, this man finally comes to his senses. It says, and when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? It's sad how proud and how selfish we can be. But sometimes this ugly place that we bring ourselves to is the only way God can get us to come back to our senses. He allows us to go there. To, for everything to crumble around us so that we can finally come to our senses. If you're living for yourself right now, please don't let it get to that point. Repent before it gets to that place because he's ready for you to come back. Now he came to himself here. The idea here is that he starts to think correctly. To arrive at a place of repentance, you must come to your senses, to see reality instead of the world you've created to suit yourselves. I wish I could say that I have things all figured out and I understand why people do what they do. I will never understand why some people do it like this young man did. They'll go and just waste their life away. They'll throw away everything they've built for whatever pleasure it is they're going to look for. I will never understand it. I will never understand the reasoning that goes through it. And the reason is, is because it doesn't make sense. They have created a world to suit themselves. They are no longer living in reality. And that's what happens when you begin to worship something other than the Lord. You become what you worship. If the thing you're seeking is pleasure, you're going to become someone who throws away other things of value to seek pleasure. If you're seeking happiness, then you'll throw away other things of value to seek your idea of happiness. Whatever the thing is that you're seeking, that will become the overarching desire of your heart, and you will no longer be living in reality. Now, what does this guy realize? Well, that even the day workers, the hired servants, these aren't even the, the family servants that are, 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 are loved and cared for by the family. These are just the day workers, the guys he hires day to day that just when he needs extra work. He says, these guys, they live better than I am right now. See, repentance starts with abandoning pride for truth. Have you done that? Or are you still creating a world and creating even maybe a God to suit yourself? Now, once he makes this admission, he knows he can't just go back and demand his father to take care of him. He had to hope that his father would give him something he doesn't deserve. So he says in verse 18, I will arise 
And I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. I have sinned. I have acted contrary to God's will and law. I have engaged in wrongdoing. I am the one at fault. And I'm no longer worthy. The word there means to have comparable merit. It, it means when you take two things in a scale and you balance them out. He says, this is what a son should be and I don't measure up to it. So please make me as one of your day workers. He can't even imagine that his father would even accept him back into the home as a, as a permanent servant. He says, just make me as one of your day workers. I think it's important that we see this here because verses 17 and 18 are very different. In verses 17, he comes to his senses. In verses 18, the prodigal repents. For coming to your senses and recognizing reality isn't repentance or salvation. It's the starting point for that. For true repentance acts upon that reality, acts upon those truths by confessing my sin to God and reaching out to him in faith. What do I mean by confessing my sin to God? What do I mean by faith? It's interesting in the movie Ratatouille, if you've seen it, I know some of you can't stomach it. My wife has a hard time with that one, rats cooking. But in the movie, it starts off by this chef who's some distant relation to the guy who originally made the restaurant, the famous guy. And so he comes in, and the reason that he's there is he's asking for his mother, who's just passed away, is asking for a job based on the relationship that he has. I just, just give him a job. just want my son taken care of. And it's funny because, you know, as, as he shares this, and they open the letter, and it's, you know, obviously this horrible thing. This guy's mother's died, whatever. You know, and they're looking at him, and he feels awkward. And he goes, it's okay because, you know, she believed in heaven, so she's covered. Kind of an interesting thought, isn't it? Because I think sometimes people kind of think that. They're like, well, you know, I, you know, I, I get reality. I mean, we, I sin and I, I get that I fall short, you know, and so I believe in God and heaven and I think I'm covered then. That's not salvation. That's not repentance. That's just acknowledging something that's true. Confession of sin is admitting the wrong you've done and recognizing what you deserve because of it, that we deserve judgment. Faith is when you cast yourself on God's mercy and grace as the only hope of escaping that judgment. That you don't look to your own righteousness, but you look to the righteousness of the one who loves you. And when I do that, the Bible says I'll be rescued from what I do deserve. And so now we come to the section about the father, verse 20. So he arose and he came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Oh, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Cue the confetti. What a powerful moment here. Here we see two things about the father so important. First, his love for his son. And what a contrast to the religious leader's reaction to these sinners coming close to Jesus. For the father, he sees his son coming from a great way off. To do that, he would need to be looking for him. Do you know that when you're away from God, he's not chilling with the 99 who didn't go astray. He's out looking for you. He's out looking for you. And it says when he saw him, he had compassion. It means to experience great affection. That was the first emotion that the father experienced when he saw his muddied, emaciated, and impoverished son. Not anger or frustration. 
There was so much affection present that this dad, this man, he ran to meet his son. That may not seem like a big deal to us, but you need to understand that culture. Men don't run for anything unless you're fighting in a battle. They do not run. They wear robes which don't accommodate running. In addition, the culture is patriarchal. Only lessers run. The father, the head of the household, he would never run. But his overwhelming affection overthrows all that cultural propriety, doesn't it? His overwhelming affection just causes him to run off. And when he gets to his son, he falls on his neck and he kissed him. He wraps his arms around him. And he says, he, the language says he just begins to shower him with kisses. You know, there is a reason that so many focus on this section of the parable. Because it's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, it's beautiful. God loves the most vile sinner with an everlasting affection that never dims and never dulls. He is out looking for us every day, waiting for us to come to our senses. And when we come home, he rushes to embrace us. Amen? He loves us so much. Now, the son gets out his confession, right? But note where the father interrupts him. He never gets to make the request for the lowest job. We came to Christ looking for survival from judgment, but the Lord restores our sonship. Isn't that awesome? He makes us a son. Why? Well, he says, for my son was dead and now he's alive. The father knew full well where his son was headed. He knew that that kind of life destroys a person. But against all hope, he's alive and he's home. It's not that the past didn't matter. It's that the future is bright. Heaven rejoices, but we don't deserve a celebration. We don't even deserve the lowest spot in heaven. See, the party is thrown because through confessing our sin and placing our hope in Christ, the past is paid for. We're home now, and our future is bright. See, now we're clothed in a robe of Christ's righteousness. Like Pharaoh who gave his ring to Joseph and made him the most powerful man of all of Egypt, we have been made joint heirs and joint rulers with Christ. We've been given the shoes of the readiness of the gospel and made an ambassador for him. Can you think of anything more absurd than this ragtag shamble of a son as the family ambassador or joint heir with his other brother? And yet that's exactly what God has done for us. Amen? That's why they call it good news. Most of us know the parable up to this point. But remember, Jesus told this story because the religious leaders were complaining and grumbling. So now we get the third part of the story. We now enter enters the, uh, the older brother. It says in verse 25, now his elder son was in the field. So he's not present for the return, the start of the celebration. It says, and as he came and drew near into the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants, one of the, this is, refers to a permanent servant. This would be someone close to him, someone that, that he knew well. And he asked what these things meant. Literally, the asking what things meant, it's optative. He says, what's going on? And so the servant said to him, well, your brother is come. And then there's a semicolon, which means a pause. See, the servant expected a similar reaction as the father. Excitement, happiness, wonder. But instead he got nothing. <laughs> So he continues to explain. He goes, your brother's returned. And your father, and I'll explain why there's music and dancing, what's going on. And your father, he's killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. Everything's good. Things are gonna be good from now on, even though they were horribly dark the day before. See, 
This is how the religious leaders should have reacted to sinners coming to listen to God's word. They should have thought, wow, look at that. These folks were messed up before today, but now it's going to be all right. Praise God. But they didn't do that, did they? Neither does the brother. Look at verse 28. And he was angry. Means to be furious, to be bubbling over with anger. And so he wouldn't go into the celebration. Therefore, his father came out and he entreated him. See, like the religious leaders, he sat outside the feast and just complained and stewed. And so when word finally reaches his dad, his dad comes out to persuade him to join the celebration. The same thing that Jesus is trying to do by telling these parables. But the son, he answered and said to his father, lo, which means, no, 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 you don't try to convince me. It means you listen to me. I'm not listening to you. You listen to me. These many years do I serve you. Neither transgressed I at any time your commandment, and yet you never gave me even a goat, let alone the fatted calf. You never even gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this, your son, was come, which has devoured your living with harlots, you have killed for him the fatted calf. And here comes the ugly truth. This son believed he'd earned something from his father by his spectacular behavior. It wasn't about loving his father or even being loved by his father. The same mentality these religious leaders had. Jesus, all you do is give us grief. We've earned better than that. And now you give these dirty sinners a spot at your table simply because now they want to listen to God's word? We've been listening from the beginning. See, they were jealous, believing they'd earned something from God. And so Jesus reminds them now through the Father's gentle rebuke that it's never been about earning things. It's always been about relationship. And he said unto him, son, think about that for just a minute. Son, not you who've achieved righteousness or you who've done so well, not you who didn't, didn't go away and ruin your life, not you who've always been faithful, but you who are my child, son. He says, you are ever with me, and all that I have is yours. You could have thrown a party whenever you want. It's not mine anymore to give. It's yours. It was meat. It was the right thing that we should make merry and be glad. For this, your brother. Do you forgotten who he is? This, your brother, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. See, what was important to the father wasn't waiting for either son to earn a party but the relationship they already had. And so in light of that, it was the right thing and the only thing to do to throw a party for his younger brother because a relationship that was lost was now restored. Can you imagine how beautiful the scene would have been for a bunch of broken Pharisees to come listen to God's word with a bunch of broken sinners? It had been awesome. You know, this chapter is so beautiful, but honestly, it's an abomination. Honestly. It's an abomination. It should never even be here. It's an ugly intrusion upon a mighty work of God. It shouldn't be necessary. And yet here it is. And thus there are three lessons from this chapter. How to repent if you're the prodigal. How God receives us when you come home. And how you should rejoice when others do this if you're already home. So which lesson is for you this morning? Do you need to come home? Do you need to understand God's loving acceptance through Christ? Or do you need to repent of a critical, self-righteous spirit? You see, whatever the lesson applies to you, all require us to humble ourselves. And what better time to humble ourselves than the Lord's Supper? 
What better time to respond in humility to God's word than the Lord's Supper as we hold the bread and we hold the cup in our hands and remember what Christ did for us. As they get ready to pass that out and the worship team comes on up, we're gonna take a moment to sing and reflect on God's goodness towards us, how our faithful father forgave us and restored us to sonship. And as we do that, you know, just receive God's love and goodness. You know, if you're not a believer today, then you need to repent. You know, as you hold those things, you need to think about the fact that Christ died for you, that God gave his son for you so that you could be his son, you could be his daughter and give your life to him. And then you can participate. You know, if you are already a believer, then you need to reflect and remember on what Christ has done for you. And if you've been grumpy as a Christian, if you've been critical in your heart as a Christian, then it's time to repent as you hold those things and think that Christ, he receives sinful men. Lord, we come to you now in this time of celebration and remembrance, Lord, to make sure our hearts are right with you. And so we ask you to examine our hearts. Lord, show us. Lord, if we've never repented of our sins and believe the gospel, then Lord, show us so that we can be right with you, that we can no longer be astray living in sin in a far country doing our own thing. But Lord, if, if we're uh, your son and daughter today and we've been struggling, we're wondering whether you love us, Lord, as we hold those elements, remind us, confirm to us, Lord, the truths of your word that you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us and you receive us unto yourself now through our faith. And then, Lord, for the areas that we need to repent, as you examine our hearts and you show us areas that we need to, that are not worthy of you, that we need to give away, we need to let go of, whether it's pharisaical or not, Lord, we, we want to make this a time where we repent and we humble ourselves. That as we all are done singing, Lord, and we hold the elements together and we read the scripture and we partake together, that'll be broken Pharisees and broken tax collectors and broken sinners all together humbled before you in gratitude, receiving your mercy. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m.